We're so glad that you've decided to join us. My name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and so we just want to kind of catch you up on a couple things as we get going tonight. Uh, first things first, if you're new with us, we want to thank you for joining us and, and uh, kind of taking a risk. I know it can be a little uh, anxious, uh, cause some anxiety, right? Coming to a new place. And so uh, don't worry, you're in the right spot. Uh, this is one of the friendliest churches that you'll ever get to visit. And if there's one thing that we do well, it's community. Uh, and so we're so glad that you're here. We'd love to meet you as well after the service. We have the 10 minute party. That's going to be in the very back corner of the room. Uh, so either uh, Pastor Jack or I will be back there. You'll get a chance to, to meet us real quickly. We've got a connection card that we usually have you fill out so that we can give you a free gift. And that free gift is the best kettle corn south of the Grand Canyon. It's that good that we've even put a moniker to it. So make sure you get that kettle corn uh, by heading to the back uh, when the service is done. And if you're at home uh, and you want to fill out that connection card as well, uh, we've got a way for you to do that. You can either uh, put a comment in the chat box and the chat host will get you the link. Uh, there's also a link in the top part of the, the screen corner that you can do that. And maybe uh, you're watching this in the middle of the week and there is no chat box. We've still got you covered. Look at that. Three ways that you can get a connection card. You can also text the word hello to five Five two zero, uh, four was it. Three four zero six eight six eight five two zero three four zero six eight six eight. Text the word hello. Tap the link. Pop in the information uh, and show us that you filled that out. We'll get you kettle corn the first time that you come to the church if you're doing that online. So uh, let's all stand together. We're going to get ready to worship tonight. But as we do, um, I'm just excited that we get together. This is it's the month of Easter. Easter's two weeks away. Can you believe it? We got Palm Sunday next week. We've got a Good Friday thing that we're going to be doing that Jack's going to tell you a little bit more about. But as we get ready to pray uh, for tonight, um, I just want to tell you how proud I am of this church and of you and uh, what you've done for Ukraine. Uh, we announced a couple weeks ago that we were going to do a love offering, that we we're going to pack some kits. We've packed 771 kits that are going to be sent to Ukraine. And that's because of your generosity, the generosity of the people at Emmanuel, the generosity of the people at Anya's uh, workplace. Um, so many people have uh, risen up uh, to, to help meet a need here. Uh, spoke with a logistics person, and those are hopefully going to get picked up and shipped out sometime this week. So that's the update there. We're going to pray for the Church of the Week. Uh, it's Congregation Beth Sar Shalom. So we're going to pray for them and their pastor, uh, Rabbi Josh uh, Tice. Tice? Don't know how to say it exactly the Lord knows. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into worship. So, Jesus, we want to thank you uh, for your presence in this room tonight. You're here. You're already moving in the hearts of your people. You're already stirring our affections for you, and there is a great work that you want to do tonight in this place. We believe that, and so we're excited to see the work that you're going to do as we point our hearts in your direction to pour out our praises as we open the word, as we study in the word and hear from you, God, we're ready to receive what it is that you have for us. And so we just pray that, that your presence uh, would mark this place, would mark this time, that it would be uh, so tangible, God, that every person that walks out of this room would know that they've experienced just a glimpse of your glory. And Lord, we pray for a congregation, Beth, Sar Shalom, and we pray uh, for their rabbi, uh, Josh, and we ask God your blessing over them, over their congregation. Lord, would you move in power uh, in, the, in the, the people that are there? Lord, would you give them all the vision, all the wisdom that they need so that they can serve uh, in their little pocket of Tucson uh, with all the passion that they need to, to make a difference in their neighborhood? So God, would you continue uh, just to move, not just there, but in all the churches here in Tucson? 
uh, as we seek to, to bring a message of hope, a message of light, a message of life, uh, this life that can be found in, in the God-man, Jesus the Christ. It's him that we worship. It's him that we lift up. And everyone said, amen.
reason to praise I will give thanks Oh, I will give thanks When the roar that I hear Is the voice of my fear Trying to silence this hope in my heart I will give thanks Oh, yes, I will I will give thanks Come on now, song of thanksgiving A song of thanksgiving is my battle cry With joy as my weapon I stand and defy The light of the dark with my hands lifted to the sky And I will rejoice I will rejoice I will dance in kindness and claim
eternal spark I call you healer Cause you can mend any broken heart I call you faithful father You finish everything you start My soul's made to respond
Oh, the perfect Son of God in all His innocence, here walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. A man of sorrow, son of suffering, who blood and tears. How can it be that there's a God who weeps? There's a God who bleeds. So praise the one who would reach home.
that there's a God who bleeds. And yet all that was done for you and for me so that we could know him, that we could know the Father and have relationship with him. And so God, we worship you for that. We thank you for that, that we stand here tonight in your presence, knowing that we're received. We don't have to try hard to do anything. We just have to stop and let your love pursue us. in that mercy tonight, Jesus. We thank you for it. And so Lord, uh, our hearts are ready to hear from you. You're stirring in people, you're moving in this place already. And we're ready to receive the word that you have for us. And so if you would just take a minute to pray for yourself, ask God to speak to you tonight. Ask God to move in your heart to give you the words that you need to hear. And take a moment to pray for Pastor Jack as he comes to speak. Ask God to anoint him. Ask God to speak through him. This is an anointed time. Every person that's here, you knew they would be here tonight. You marked this moment for us to engage with you. 
Thank you for loving us so much that you would create that time and space for us to meet, to hear from you. So we're ready, God, we're ready to receive your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. marked this moment. Yeah, it's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you're tuning in online. God is active, longs to be active in your life and continue to grow in that. We've been in this series called Follow, and uh, it's really trying to figure out how do you follow Jesus in a 21st century context? How do you you try to go about that? Because the early disciples, they kind of had a context where they literally followed after him. And how do we do that in our cultural context, in our moment in that? And so following Jesus is really, it's a continuum for a lot of different people. For many of you here, maybe watching online, maybe you're like me. And you have a rich legacy of faith because you kind of grew up in the church. And, and so it was a part of who you were and a part of your story from early on. And maybe that's your story. And so following after Jesus is something that you kind of know and you know about his life and his death and his resurrection. And that's, and that's what makes a way for us to have a right relationship with our creator. And, and maybe that's part of your faith legacy. And that's a beautiful thing. For some of you maybe watching online or here in the room, uh, you're on the other side of that continuum. And maybe uh, you're at a moment, you find yourself in a season, maybe coming out of kind of the pandemic fog that we've all been in and you just feel that, like there's something missing in your life. Or maybe you've gone through a hardship, you're navigating a difficult season and, and you're trying to figure out faith. And it's just, it feels like God's igniting something within you and, and you don't even know fully kind of what it is yet. And you're just trying to take steps forward and if that to you. Man, I'm so stinking proud of you. I mean that. Like, it takes real courage to begin to own part of your own faith journey and to begin walking steps of that even when you don't fully know everything yet. And that is kind of what this series has been about, that, that, that in a lot of ways, following after Jesus is about steps. It's, it's, it's not this ritual-looking thing. It's about this relational kind of thing that has this ongoing steps of faith in it. And for a lot of us, maybe you've been down the road for a while in faith, but listen, you're not done. If, if you're not dead, you're not done. And so, like, there's next steps for you in that, that he longs to lead you in. And for those of you who might be kind of on the newer end of that and beginning to kind of try to figure this out, who is this Jesus? And like, there's steps that you could take. In fact, we've been saying throughout the series, like you don't have to be perfect and have it all figured out. You don't have to have like everything wrapped up in a bow because the reality is the early disciples didn't know. Like they didn't listen to all that Jesus said. Do you know that? Like it wasn't until the end after the resurrection, they were like, what? Now I get it. Like, they were kind of just bumbling along along the way. And, and if that's where you're at, then don't feel bashful about that. Just continue to figure out what that next step is for you and, and continue to walk in that. And really following Jesus is about a first step. It's about beginning a relationship with him. It's about taking that very first step to say, hey, you know what? I need a savior. It's not just about me trying to figure out my faith journey and about me trying to work my way to a perfect and holy God, trying to fill the gap between him and me. It's the fact that I, I need a savior. 
who came to save and rescue me. It's coming into that first step of faith to say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. And for some of you, you may be close to that. Uh, for some of you, you may be early on in that process, and, and we want to offer something in three weeks. In fact, I'm telling you right now so that you can, can begin to prepare your heart for it. Uh, right back here, I don't know if you know, we have a baptismal, uh, like a giant tub, okay? And we baptize people there, and baptism is this beautiful picture of kind of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that we only have two ordinances that, that we see in the New Testament. Jesus said, hey, do this in remembrance of me, the Lord's Supper, communion. And he, he got baptized and said, I want you to do this. And so like that's the two things that we know that, hey, this is what Jesus kind of said. If, and if Jesus was baptized and he's called his followers to be baptized, and in a lot of ways you get to, to kind of enter into that relationship. Faith is about faith, okay? It's not about water. But baptism is like this public expression that I'm going all in on Jesus because he's gone all in on me. And, and I'm finding my faith in him. And for those of you who might be new in that journey, three weeks from tonight, we're doing a baptism service, okay? And here's what that means. Like, we're gonna sing, like we normally do, and we're gonna have some baptisms. And so like, if you have never been baptized, maybe you're like me and you're early on in your faith, but you've never really gone public with your faith and, and let people celebrate you and kinda make that a statement of saying, hey, I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do, then that'll be your day. It's the 24th, and I tell you what, you can bring a bathing suit and a dark t-shirt. We will have athletic shorts in our Elements t-shirts for you if you forget. Like, we're gonna have an opportunity for if you forget that night and you go, okay, I wanna do it, then we're gonna offer you the opportunity to do that. Our elders will be down front, they'll be able to pray with you, and um, it's just gonna be a great time. Now, with that, that's that first step of faith of saying, hey, I'm going public with my faith, I'm, I accepted Jesus, and I'm walking that out. In Romans 10, 9, says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised, you will be saved. Faith is that. But baptism is kind of that public expression that, hey, I'm going all in on Jesus, and my life is aligning with him. And I don't have it all figured out yet, maybe, but I'm, I'm riding with him. And then it's this big $10 word called sanctification. It's just a big religious word that simply means, here's what it means to follow Jesus, that he's reshaping your life and changing your life. And we've been talking about that over the last several weeks. Lyle looked at this last week that, hey, make it your willful choice to choose God's will more than just what you will in life. Like, you're gonna have to find times in your life where you're gonna go through that. And tonight, I wanna look at this idea of, okay, as we follow Jesus, if Jesus is worth following, why? Like, if he's worth following, it means he's leading us somewhere, that he's got an understanding about leadership. Now, how many of you have ever read a book about leadership? Maybe your workplace has assigned it to you. You've had to do that. Tonight, I want to kind of wrestle a little bit with this idea of, I think, what Jesus kind of redefined leadership in, in, we'll call it maybe kingdom leadership. Kind of the ways of God's kingdom, the ways, of, the, the ways God operates. Here's how leadership should flesh itself out and work its way out. And we're going to look at one particular passage. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. If you have the app, you can open up 
let the app go down to sermon notes and follow along with us there. Uh, but that's where we're going to go. A lot of people think of Jesus as a religious figure, not necessarily equating him as a leader, but Jesus was an extraordinary leader who came to bring about extraordinary change. And so in this passage, this conversation that he's going to have with his early disciples, his early followers, he's going to kind of define this idea of kingdom leadership. Now, I, I know like this may seem irreverent a little bit, but I want you to think about something. Jesus, for three years, built his movement uh, you might phrase it in leadership technology or leadership words as he built his brand. I don't like really saying it that way because it kind of cheapens it, but it's this idea of he built his movement in three years. You realize that Jesus never left the Holy Land. So for three years, he's in one place, one region, and today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. Uh, you realize 2,000 years from now, uh, no one's going to be talking about Jack. No one's going to be talking about you, more than likely, unless you invent something super awesome, and then we'll say, we'll do you. But, like, no one's going to be talking about us. 2,000 years later, Jesus, who did all of his ministry in one region, now has expression of his movement on every continent of the world and never had one frequent flyer mile, never traveled beyond his walking where he could go. Think about the significance of that. Think about the leadership feat that is and the reality of who he was is what transferred and what began to go out and it's the people who hung around him, the people who were changed by him, the people who were following him that began to keep moving his uh, movement forward. So we get this from the Gospel of Mark. Mark is not one of those early apostles. He was an, a, a friend of Peter. Mark is, most scholars believe that Mark is the Gospel account of Peter. Mark is writing Peter's story, and Peter's retelling this in that. And so as they get going on this story, here's what I want you to kind of see. We've been kind of looking at this the last few weeks. So verse 32, here's what, how it begins to play out. They are on their way up to where? Jerusalem. Do not forget that. Okay? Just, that's where they're going. Okay? They are on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. The disciples were astonished while those around were followed were afraid. That's the crowd. So remember, there's Jesus, there's the disciples, there's this crowd, this mob that's kind of going up. Again, he took the 12, the disciples, the apostles there, took them aside and told them, here's what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man, referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, the Romans, the occupying people of the region, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, your Bible might have the little connotation above this little passage that says this is the third time Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, I know everything has been great. Everything's been sweet and awesome. Look at the crowds we got around us. But see, there's going to come moments where what you want and what I want are two different things. There's going to come moments of cost. And I'm telling you now, so there's no surprise 
we're coming to a moment of cost. And it's going to cost me. And he begins laying out like this details of what's going to happen. And I want you to notice the very next verse in verse 35. It's, anyone ever scratched a record before? This is that, okay? I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. I'm turned over, but I will rise in three days. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you do us a favor, Jesus? The flogging, that sounds rough. That sounds bad. Can you do us a favor? This is a record scratch moment. If you're a parent, you understand this moment. I've had these moments where you're at the the dinner table and you're whispering to your son, son, don't ever forget this life lesson. Like, you've got to get this to the core of who you are. You're leaning over the bed and, honey, I need you to understand this. Your dad, I care so much about you and I want you to understand this moment. You're like intimately whispering just life lesson that will be so invigorating to their life. And then your kid looks at you and says, hey, do you know you look funny when you talk up close? The side of your mouth goes up a little bit and it's kind of weird. Any parent ever had this moment? Like, you're pouring out your soul, and they just something like weird. This is Jesus' moment. He pulls the 12 aside. Listen, guys, I don't want you to be surprised. Like, here's what's going to happen. Hey, Jesus, can you do us a favor? Yeah, look, here's, and then they kind of go in. You can read the, the story. They, they kind of, they're, they're doing it separate, because this is what's going to make sense here in a second. Jesus, will you do us a favor? Because, like, we know, okay, you're the rabbi teacher right now, but pretty soon you're going to take off, like, the rabbi robe, and you're going to become the king. You're going to get the corner office, the flogging. I don't know how we're going to get there from there, but but listen, you're going to be king because you're God. This is how the story goes. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to be king. And when you're king, when you have the corner office, Jesus, can we have the two offices next to you? That's what James and John are asking. And why are they asking Jesus separately from the other disciples? Because when you snuggle up to power and authority, That's what you want. Jesus, I know we're not you. We're not going to have the corner office. But can we be next to you? Because you're going to have the power and authority. And then you read a couple verses later. And the other ten become indignant. Look up the word, indignant. They become ticked off. P.O.'d. Not because James and John were insensitive to Jesus. Hey, didn't you guys hear about the flogging and the beating, the crucifying? Like, that's rough stuff. How dare you ask for a favor? No, that's not why they became indignant. Why did they become indignant? Whoa, 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 whoa! You're cutting in on the corner office? You're leaving us out? Wait a minute! 
That's my corner office. I need to be next to Jesus, not you. I've certainly fed more people than you. I have picked up more baskets than you. I have done more things. And all of a sudden, this food fight begins happening among the earliest disciples after Jesus has poured out his soul. Anyone ever been in a food fight? Morana High School, 1988. The biggest food fight I've ever been in in my entire life. It was crazy. Kind of fun, crazy. That's what happened in this moment. Don't miss that. Because if you miss that, you miss everything. And Jesus, man, he's got more patience than I do. My hunch is he's got a lot more patience than you do as well. Because two of his closest followers are asking for a favor to try to snuggle up to his power and authority. And Jesus is actually listening. And then he says, no. I assume Jesus in this moment would say, oh, bless your heart. Which in the South is like a degrading thing. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. You can't be, like, you don't get it. Uh, you, uh, all right, gang. Gather around for a family chat. And that's what happens in the rest of this passage. Jesus, the leader gathers the disciples in, the 12, and he says, it's time for a family chat. I've been saying this, but you've been missing it. And so now we're gonna have a family chat because what he's trying to help them understand is here's what you do with authority and power. See, I've got authority and power, Jesus is saying, and here's what I'm going to do with it. And you're going to be in positions where you have authority and power going forward. As a follower of me, you're going to have it. And when you have it, here's how I want you to act with it. Here's what it's supposed to play out. Here's how it's supposed to be. And into this moment, he begins to, uh, to play this out. When the turn 10 heard about it, they're all ticked off. They gather around for a family meeting. In this moment, Jesus spells out, here's what kingdom leadership is like. Verse 42, Jesus called them together, insert family chat, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. You know how the world works when it comes to leadership, don't you? And the guys are like, yeah, that's why I kind of we're jockeying for position here. That's why we pulled you aside. We won't, you can have the corner office. We just want to be next to you. Jesus says, no, no. That's how it works in this world. That's how it works in the Roman system. That's how it works in the culture, in the society around you. People lord it, he uses two Greek terms here where he talks about this idea of you lord it over the people who are under your authority. That's what leaders do in the society context. And when you're the one in charge, you leverage your authority for what's best for you. You leverage your authority that you have as a leader for what's best for you. 
So not only do you lord it over people, but you also try to make it good for you. That's what leadership looks like in our society and context. For a lot of companies, for a lot of organizations, for a lot of entities, 2,000 years later, that's still how it works. That's what leadership is about. This is what it looks like. That's why you want to be in charge. You don't want to be lorded over. You want to be the Lord who's over those people. And I think Jesus smiles and says, verse 43, and if you have a real Bible, take a pen and underline this, circle it. He says, not so with you. Not so with you. That's how the world works. That's how leadership in the world works, but not so with you, friends. When you get into those moments, when you have authority, when you have power, and you're gonna be tempted to make it about you and lord it over people or try to get the best for you, in that moment, not so with you. You wanna be a kingdom leader. I want you to lead like I'm going to lead and like I'm leading you right now. And then Jesus, in a characteristic way, turns everything upside down. He says, verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, meaning if you're great, it means you're leading. Great in this context means you're ruling. Great in this context means you're exercising authority over people. Jesus says, that's what you want, right? And everybody would be clamoring, yes, that's what we want. That's why we started talking to you. Jesus said, okay, that's good that you want that. But when you have that, here's how you are to act. You, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And he instantly deflates their ego. Leadership in a, in a worldly standpoint is about puffing up ego, building up. But leadership in a kingdom leadership perspective is about deflating it's about honoring others above yourself. It's about putting the best forward for others, not just for yourself. He deflates them. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first, you want to be the big deal where everybody looks to you in the meeting? If you want to be the big deal, whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Whoa. At this point, I think the disciples are probably like, that's not going to work. Like, that just goes against every fiber of what's, uh, what we say, what we think, what we're kind of wired for, in a way. And for some of you, you might even look at this and go, okay, that, that's not going to work in the corporate world. Like, that's not going to work in real life. That may work well at a church, Jack. That's cool. That's nice. That may work in a, well in a religious setting. But, like, I can't just stand at the door and say, you're welcome after you, after you, after you, and never make a decision. Listen, Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying that there's never point people. He's never saying that there's never action, or he's not trying to breathe in us uh, the inability to produce anything. What he's saying is your perspective. When you have power and authority, do you leverage it to lord it over people, leverage it for yourself, or do you leverage it for the people that you're serving and that are serving with you? That's what he's getting at. 
If you're gonna be a Jesus follower, not just on Sundays, but in every day, in all capacities, this is part of your responsibility. This is the standard Jesus is saying. If you call me Lord and Savior, if you are my follower, this is how you're to lead in your workplace. This is how you're to lead when you have authority and power and the ability to influence. This is how you're to learn to lead like him. You don't lord it over people, you actually serve people. Now, some of you work in organizations where you've seen this happen, and it's a beautiful thing. Some of you work in organizations where this has never happened, and it's crazy, and it's difficult, and it's challenging, and it's so easy to, to kind of shift into the mindset of I've got to protect me because no one else is looking out for me. No one else is certainly serving me. Jesus is not saying, he isn't arguing about point leadership. He's actually gonna put some of these guys in point leadership for the church going on. He's not telling us to be passive or to not be productive. What he's saying is when you have authority, when you have power, leverage it for the people that you serve, the people who are underneath you. Don't leverage it for yourself. Don't lord it over people. You're in a position to lead, then lead well. Lead like I am. Where are they heading? Where are they heading? I told you not to forget that. We'll come back to it. Whenever you have authority, leverage your authority for the sake of others, whether it's in your home, your marketplace, your community, and your team. The truth is, some of you maybe have never seen this done well. For some of you, maybe you have seen it done well. And some of your bosses, some of the leaders that you've looked up to have, have led in such a way that you are drawn to them because they were for you, not just for themselves. They were for you and they were for the company in that way. Every generation has leadership gurus who come around, researchers who ask all the question, what makes a great leader? What are the five qualities? What are the four qualities? What are the thing? Like, and every generation kind of has that. Stephen Covey talked about that in the 80s or rediscovered that. Uh, Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. Anyone read that? Great book on leadership. And he wrote that and he kind of talks about this level five leader, right? And when he went into researching for that and the level five leader, what he thought he was gonna find is that person has charisma. That's a level five leader. And what he found was that a level five leader, a person who organized great companies that lasted generations, they were humble. That was the common denominator. And I think Jesus would look at that and go, yep. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. See, the Gentiles, the world, the society, they lord it over and they want to be in charge because they want it to go well for them. But when you lead, not so with you. When you have influence, when you have leadership, when you have opportunity, you are to look after with humble hearts those. You are to be for people that serve you, that work with you, that you have a savior who has called you to lead that way. Uh, so how can you play this out? Like how can you begin to actually practically begin to do this? There's probably a host of ways. I just wanna give you two today. How can you do this? One question and one outlook. One question, one outlook. 
It may be simply starting with your family, with your friends, employees, coworkers, your neighbors, people that are teammates, that you're around classmates, that you're around. What if you became a person who just simply led in such a way where you said, hey, I'm gonna leverage my authority, my influence, my power uh, in a way that it blesses other people. It's not just about me. I don't wanna lord it over. Uh, we'll, make, we'll get things done. I'm passionate about that, but I want us to be able to do it. I wanna be for you. What if you just begin asking the question, hey, how can I help you? How can I help you? What a simple question. But what a practical question. For some of you, you have a boss that if they walked in and asked you, how can I help you? You would pass out on the floor. Because you work in an environment where your boss says, just do this. And you have to do it. But see, a Jesus-like leader is always trying to leverage who they are for your good. That's what a savior does. See, that's the gospel in essence. If you just look at it and you kind of span out a little bit, how can I loan you me for your good? How can I bring my resources, my authority to help you, in essence, that's the heart of the gospel. God, in a cosmic way, looking down on a sin, sin-filled, broken world and asking the question, what can I do to help? Because it's a mess, and they can't fix it themselves. They need help. What can I do to help? How can I loan them me for their good? I'll send a savior. I'll send myself. How can I help? I'm here. Jesus shows up. How do I loan what I have to meet their need? Leverage your leadership in the scope that you can, whether you have a small scope or a large scope. And maybe one of the best questions you can start introducing into your conversations is how can I help? How can I help you? And that can be in your family. That's not just a workplace thing. And that could be in the context of relationships that you have. See, if you leverage your influence and your power and your authority that you might have, whether it's even small scope or big scope, and be able to say, hey, how can I help? means I'm looking out for you. How can I leverage me for your good? What if the church began to do this for the city it's in? How can we leverage us for the good of the city? How can we begin to say, how, how can we help? We don't have to re like, kind of do all kinds of new things. Like, how can we help around? How can we better for you? Learn to leverage your leadership in a way of maybe how can I help you? That's one question. One outlook would simply be a, a mantra we've used around here quite often. Uh, comes from Andy Stanley, kind of where we got this follow series from. It's simply this, look for opportunities to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. This is Jesus. He does it all over the Gospels. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Jesus did this all the time. You read through the Gospels, keep this in mind, it's amazing. Jesus didn't heal everybody. You do know that, right? He didn't heal everybody, but he healed a lot of people. He did for one what maybe he wished he could do for everyone. But in the scope and the context of what he was able to do in his humanity 
fully divine, fully human, the humanity limits us. I'm gonna do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. He didn't feed everybody, he didn't visit everybody, he didn't stop in every single town, but he did for one what he was, the symbolic leadership. What if you and I just lived more and more without outlook? How can I do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? I can't fix everyone's situation, I can't come along and help every single person, but for this one person that God has brought to my attention and crossed my path, I can show up and do something here. How can I help you? I can do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. I can be on the lookout. I can live my life that way. Now, you may not be a Christ follower yet, and my hunch is that sounds appealing. You may not even be at the place where you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, but there's something about that that just ignites something in you. Why? Because Jesus is the inventor of leadership. He's the inventor of everything. He knows what he's talking about. He changed the world. Every continent has his expression, his movement on it, and the dude doesn't have one frequent flyer mile. Why? Because he's God. He can be in one place and get it out everywhere. I can't do that, neither can you, but he did. And he continues to move his church forward. Now, at the very end of this conversation, listen to how Mark wraps this up. His conversation with Peter, recording this for you and for me, that we might see it. And he kind of wipes away every excuse that we might have. And here's how it ends. He's quoting Jesus. For even the Son of Man, verse 45, did not come to be served. See, that's what the Gentile world, that's what the world says. When you get power and you get authority, you have people serve you. But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We are two weeks away from Easter. Where were they heading? Why? Because Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the leader, was on his way to demonstrate, here's what you do when you have authority and you, power, and you have power. You don't look to be served, but you serve, and you leverage what you have for the betterment of others. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That is kingdom leadership. So what might that look like for you on Monday? How do you begin to put expression to that? It might be a question. It might be living more with an outlook how can I do for one what I wish I could do for How can I help? How do we begin to, as followers of Jesus, begin to live more and more like Jesus, who didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many? Now, does that mean you never get me time? No. In fact, you should take some me time. Self-care is good for you. 
But when self-care becomes all you do, it becomes selfish. It's okay to have some me moments because that replenishes you to then go serve and to be a blessing to others. How can I help you? How can I do for one when I wish I could do for everyone? It's okay to have me moments. It's not okay to make it all about me in every moment. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Hey guys, we are on our way to Jerusalem where I'm gonna give up my life for you because you need me to. I'm for you and I'm actually gonna show you the ultimate display of that. Can you do us a favor? What? You're missing it. No, no, see, you're clamoring for power and authority and I'm trying to tell you when you have power and authority, you leverage it for the good of others. That's how I want you to live. So Jesus, as we continue to move toward Easter, remembering your sacrifice of your life, your death, and ultimately the joy of your resurrection, we see in an upside down kind of way that you were the leader who was for people and because you were for, you laid down your life. You didn't make it all about you. You didn't come to be served, you came to serve. And you brought about worldwide change because of how you served. Father, may your church, may we as individuals get in line with that, to live with that kind of perspective that we can be part of your team that brings about continued worldwide change because we lead different than what the world says. This is how it looks. Jesus, you said it looked different and you showed that as you laid down your life for your friends. Jesus, you're the one who said no greater love does anyone have than they lay down their life for their friends. And you did that. You did that for me. You did that for each one here, each one watching online. That's our first step. Just coming to a uh, kind of recognizing that we need you. We can't get to God in our own effort. And so you came that we might have life with God through faith in you. God, I'm convinced there's some folks that you're tapping on their heart for you. I'm for you. I'm with you. Would you draw them home? God, for each one of us that's been in that faith legacy, you have a next step. You, you, this is the standard you set for how we are to utilize power and authority and the leverage we have is to make it about other people. So help us recharge as we need to, but help us to live on mission. That's what a sent one is. We're sent to be Jesus with skin on to the people around us, to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Father, as we worship you, would you stir our hearts afresh and anew, invigorating us
to live and lead like you, Jesus. Your name cannot be overcome. 
We always want to be captivated by Jesus. May he never become stale to you. May it constantly be just reinvigorating your life. Man, he is so good, friends. He's so good. May he surprise you often with the way he leads you, the way he calls you forward, and how to leverage your life. Three quick things as we go. Uh, Again, if you're online, uh, we'd love to have you fill out the connection card. If you're here in the room, you can fill it out and uh, meet us at the 10-minute party. I'll be back there. I'd love to say hey to you if you're new. Um, But three quick things. Marriage retreat. This is the last night to sign up for it. It's in August. Uh, It's a $50 deposit. Hold your spot as a couple. Um, And then the the rest is due like the end of April. You'll get all the emails, information about that. But you can go on the app, click on the marriage retreat event, and you can actually sign up for that right then. Good Friday service. I I want to invite you to our Good Friday service. It will not be online. It will only be in this room. It will be about an hour or so long. It will not be normal. Uh, There will be worship. It'll be unplugged. It will be contemplative. It'll be reflective as we think about Jesus. If you're on a spiritual journey and you want to form your heart to be more and more like Jesus, then I invite you. If you don't want that, don't come. Um, Like, We're just inviting you to have space. We're actually gonna have some contemplative things where you can do. You're gonna sit in silence for 10 minutes. If that freaks you out, don't come. If that sounds life-giving to you, then friend, you come. Because I think it will be. We'll have an experience together. It's not gonna be online. I invite you, 6.30, Good Friday, and then we'll celebrate Easter together. Invite family and friends for that. Last thing is uh, U of A baseball game. We're gonna go to a U of A baseball game. Tickets are on sale for 10 bucks. That is more than what it costs, and here's why. Because this is gonna be a fundraiser to help send some of our high school and middle school students to camp uh, this summer. So you can buy a ticket for 10 bucks. Uh, you can buy any Sunday out in the foyer. It's online in the app. You can do that. We'll get the tickets to you on Sunday. Uh, it's on April 29th. We'd love for us to hang out. We'll take over the stands and have a good time at uh, U of A baseball. Sound good? They're actually doing pretty well. So 10-minute party. Dinner tonight is at Sauce Payway, which is kind of the Williams Center area. That's where a big chunk of people will be in about 30 minutes. And so you're welcome to be a part of that. If you're new, we'd love to invite you to that, but I'll meet you first at the 10-minute party. May the Lord bless you, and may he lead you well, and may he use you to lead others and invest in others. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.